everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Today I'm joined by Kim Allen and we're going to start by talking about the dark horse mindset. Um, so I found this really fascinating, but if you don't mind, can you give kind of a quick overview of, of the dark horse mindset and what you found fascinating about it? Uh, sure. If there was some extensive work done at Harvard by a couple of Harvard researchers that, that looked at the dark horse mindset. And the dark horse is a definition of somebody who does something that's really quite unexpected and ends up um, producing maybe extraordinary results from a place that you really didn't understand. And uh, the, the dark horse mindset tends to come where people actually find what they find most appealing about their something called micro motives. And, okay. and those are the things that, that really start to drive people in thinking about hmm, what is it that I really just, really just like doing, uh, yeah. you know, as, as you start to go through. Okay, yeah, and and I, I read about the micro motives as well, and I really liked the. I mean, it really resonated with me. Um, but I I had felt like I'd heard of dark horse, not like called that, but in general terms, other places. It kind of makes me think of like a maverick and that kind of thing. Um, but it's not it's not just someone who does their own thing. It's more like uh, someone who does something unexpected. Um, is it? Is it more so that it would be someone who um, you don't expect big things from? Yeah, and, and or big things in an area you might not expect things. So perhaps you expected them, but you're very surprised that they ended up doing, um, it, it ended up excelling in one particular area that may not have been an area that you would have seen as a natural in. Okay. And so one of the one of the examples they actually use is a, a chap who was a, an engineer and he was at the early stage of the fiber optics industry. Mm-hmm. And he actually developed the connector that that was is required in all fiber optic systems and, and put it together. And so, it, you know, uh, really working a way through it. Career goes through and you kind of recognize that hmm, maybe I should be going into management, um, do better in, in management management really wasn't his type of thing and he, he struggled with it wasn't a good fit for management and so he ended up doing a number of different uh, a number of different type of careers and actually ended up you know doing uh, taxes uh, uh, people's income tax and just producing those ones that had nothing at all to do with it yeah then then he started to look for a new business and one of the businesses that he looked at and he started to focus on the micro motives and what were the things that he really liked well it was really doing that precise alignment of different things and so if you think about fiber optics how they actually have to be very tightly connected that's very very precise alignments yeah anyway he ended up buying a franchise an upholstering one and he became the the top uh, upholster in uh, in new york you know from doing it so here you've got a very highly talented engineer that did something in fiber optics and his micro motives was really that he excelled at doing things that took precision alignment that were, uh, you know, um, hands on with very precision alignment. Yeah. And he evolved that into a, a totally different career that you wouldn't have expected. That I don't think most of us would think that somebody who's working in fiber optics, an engineer working in fiber optics, would end up being a wildly successful, and, and, making couches yeah. and, and repairing couches because he could actually line up the fabrics better than anybody else. Yeah. And that's why the idea of micromotives really interested me. I'd not heard of that before at all. 
and it's like people think of what are their motives they always think of these high level things but really it's kind of like in your day-to-day -day life what gives you that like pang of satisfaction it's like he probably is someone when when his drawers are perfectly aligned and it's all very precise or his like that just like makes him feel good and and so yeah. you know with fiber optics he could do that and with uh, upholstery and and so for me like I found that, you know, right right now I'm working as a receptionist and a cashier. I love when there's like just a repetitive task that I do really, really well and like super 10 times quicker than anyone else because I just figured out the best way to do this simple task. That gives me like a, a nice satisfaction that, uh, that and, and people wouldn't think to kind of try and grow a career from the bottom up like that. They think, oh, I want to inspire people. Like they always often think so much more higher higher level than just like, what do you enjoy in your day-to-day -day life? What, what drives yeah, and, you? And, and when I think about that, it's that, you know, in terms of, you know, is, is it happiness? Is it satisfaction? And, and really what I've come across, I believe that it is, is that what we all seek is fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And so fulfillment is the thing that, that kind of gets you to that stage that you're fulfilled doing the activity yeah. and then you feel, then you feel good. Like yeah. it, you don't feel good and then you're fulfilled. I think it's the other way around, that you're yeah. fulfilled and then, then you feel good. And so the micro motives to me are, are something to say, hmm, here's something that I actually like doing. You know, it could be a puzzle. It could be whatever it is. But here's something like I like to feel doing. And then when I do it, I actually feel feel good because I was fulfilled yeah. um, you know, in in doing it um, you know, as, yeah. as we go through. It, it's interesting. And <clears throat> excuse me, uh, our work with uh, uh, behavioral traits, uh, <laughs> um, our work, sorry, excuse me. No uh, our work with be behavioral traits um, that that we use it in with a tool called Success Finder, as as we look at it in terms of uh, you know behavioral DNA, almost you could, you could call it mm. uh, that that we all have that built into us, and it's that demonstrates how well we're going to perform at different things, and so the, the theory in behind it. Is that high performers in a given area have a common set of that the same similar type of uh, behavioral DNA, so they have similar type of traits, and they end up being a high performer in an area. And so I kind of see the two of them akin to the micro motives that these are things that you just feel good about doing. I may not like doing the same types of things that you're doing, or yeah. may not excel at, at those types of things, but we actually have to be very good at doing some of those those things. And if they happen to match up for a position, for a career, for a, whatever we're we're looking at, at doing, we'll find personal fulfillment and, and we'll be as good as or better. And so as you talked about in your example with the, the cashier, if you could be 10 times faster than somebody else, that feels good. Yeah. Because you figured out the process, you figured out those ones. Yeah, so what it, is, it's what's, not, what's in it? Yeah, and it's not even like the being faster than other people. It's I like that. That is what gives me the fulfillment. It's literally just I think I've done this as like I don't think someone could find a better way, a quicker way to do this, right? Like it's just the 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 micro optimization of a small task, um, and then it happens to be quicker, right? Um, but definitely, that yeah, yeah. Um, so you 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 know post a lot about. Um, this realm of stuff, right? And this development. Do you think, to me, I'm, I'm newer to all of this, but it seems like it's, a, it's a, a growing trend of people really focusing on all of this broadly. Is, is that accurate? 
or or is, has it always kind of been like a big focus for major companies and that kind of thing? No, no, I, I think it, it's becoming uh, more and more prominent. And, and part of it is that I think it's to, to actually understand and to understand the relationships. I think it's very complex. Mm -hmm. People are very, very complex. And so, you know, there's I think there's been attempts where you start to look at two, four, sixteen different type things. But I think the combinations of permutations out there, there's as many different ways as that behavioral DNA is is mixed as there are people. Yeah. You know, so it, it's it's more of a uh, a big data AI type challenge that, that we actually have out there that I think the tools are now coming out that we can actually start to understand, yeah. uh, you know, understand those areas and put it in that I think there's always been an interest in trying to do it but i think the categorization because of the tools that were available uh tended to end up being m much more narrow yeah and and it made for interesting party conversations but perhaps not for, for much else and yeah say, you know well, you, you're one of these and i'm one of those and i guess you know we can't get along because yeah. you're going to approach it this way and and, and to me those the, the simplistic ones are are far too black and white because yeah. there's tons of different areas in between yeah. each of those ones and, and we start to uh, you know start to tie together yeah. I, I think i think it's also an, and it's into the uh, you know so, some of the work that uh, aaron wapnick did uh, as as she started to to look at it that where she talks about the multi-potential lights mm -hmm. and, and that's saying that a it's it's okay that you actually may have multiple interests yeah. because I, I know that as as i grew up it was that no, what you got to do is you start to focus, you work hard, you stick with it, and, and you become narrower and you become more specialized. Yeah. And and for people then who veered off and, and went into different areas, that was always, well, why would you do that? You were very good at these things. And, yeah. and I know in through my career, I found probably after about three years, I was bored with the, the position and saying, yeah. okay, it's time to go do something else. Yeah. And people say, well, you're doing really well here. Why would you want to go someplace else there? It's kind of, well, been there, done that. And yeah. uh, let's take on the new challenge. And there's especially, a new area of interest. Yeah. Especially, sorry, but uh, especially if uh, like, there's not that much room to change within it, right? Like I like running organizations that I can continue to challenge myself because I'm challenging the company. Like that's why I want to run my own business so I can kind of do that. Um, but it makes a lot of sense that if you kind of within a f few years, yeah. And, and, Definitely. I mean, the feedback I always got it's in school is no, you sh what is the thing you're good at? What is what is your one thing? Uh, and you kind of yeah. get dismissed uh, as scatterbrained or you're, you're not determined enough if you uh, want to do the, you know, something else or the next thing as well. Yeah. And, and you know, and I think that's a disservice. It, it's interesting. There's some, some research that NASA did, like, I don't know, it was probably 20 odd years ago, but, but they actually looked at, at um, ch they started with fairly young children um, and, and they went through and they assessed where are people, what's the percentage of the population that are creative geniuses. Mm -hmm. And so when, when they looked at it, children under three, 98% of children under three are creative geniuses. <laughs> and, 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 it, and it drops off. By the time you get to be about 16, it's down in, it's below 20%. Yeah. And by the time you're a working adult, it's 2%. Yeah. So we go from 98%, we start out. And, and I think it's all this narrowing, narrowing, narrowing focus yeah. drives the creative genius out of us. Yeah. And you think, 
think, <laughs> does that drive the curiosity out of us? Is that, you know, why, why people don't explore various different areas that they, they actually never got to it to explore the different type of potential yeah. uh, that, that may be there. And I think one of the, I, I don't know if it was the multi-potentialite multi TED Talk or the Dark Horse one talked about school and how like these, these systems are designed for the average. But when you really look at it, almost no one fits the average because there's 30 average traits and no one is average for more than five of them. So it's actually being built for almost no one. But regardless, it's like you're trying to hammer everyone through this one like square peg, even though there's all these different shapes and sizes. And so you do brunt off the, the creative pieces of, of the people. And I found like, I'm trying to just learn to rechannel my inner child and, and I have become more creative. And even today, for example, I, I was just like sitting in a tree and I was like kind of talking to the tree. And it's like, you know, if someone passed me and right now they'd think I was nuts. But if I was five years old, that would be perfectly fine. Cause I'm just like, letting my imagination pretend the tree's alive, right? And like that kind of thing. So I'm trying to refine that and like it channel my inner child. But I think that is like definitely, I never liked school because it felt like it was so regimented. And so this is what you have to do. This is the way to do it and that kind of thing. Yeah, and, you know, and I, I kind of relate back into kind of my, my elementary and high school years as it went through it, you know, constantly getting in trouble yeah because I was bored right and you yeah. know and they're doing something and so been there done that you know and so the work you gave us took five minutes and now yeah. I got an hour to kill so I guess I could do something yeah and and you know so and the the creative mind creates uh, some things that probably don't fit in with those that standard norm that um, is expected out of the class yeah I forget who the quote is by, but it says something. If you want to understand the entrepreneur, look at the juvenile delinquent. They're the ones who are saying, this doesn't work. I'm going to do my own thing. And like, I was the exact same in school. Just like, uh, you know, always kind of antsy, but it's because I would just understand things and then do them and be bored while, yeah, everyone else was, uh, was figuring it out, I guess. Yeah, or figuring it out or or working a way that the purpose of it, the assignment was that you got some understanding of it mm. and people would spend endless times on perfecting it. So the thing looked just perfect as it, as it went in, not a whole lot of learning with it, but, and then we reward that type of, uh, that type of effort to saying, well, very good, you know, and so you, you can color in between the lines. Yeah. I'm not sure. That, I'm not sure that's what the purpose of the assignment was, was to see how well you can color in between the lines where, yeah. where you're actually trying to solve, solve something that was very real. Yeah, definitely. One thing that I wanted to kind of jump back to success finder, cause it was my first, I'm, I'm really interested in what I, I mean, what I would now call macro psychology, right. And success finder was kind of my first, uh, avenue into that and it was just such a different approach because psychology for so long was practiced on an individual basis right we're going to learn these things about you and then if we learn enough individuals we can try and make these broad general rules but success finder takes just a mass amount of data and says okay well we know people with your scores and your traits in reality succeeded in these types of roles and stuff so it's a much more big data approach and you just see that work that methodology working broadly through social media and all of this stuff but it, it's just so fascinating to me that 
yeah, it makes sense that at a large scale, humans do act similar to one another. Um, and I and I just find that, I mean, super fascinating, but also having a lot of implications for the future of human mass manipulation, potentially, but like, but uh, just as a useful tool, it, it's, it's such a interesting approach. Yeah, and, and it's very interesting when you listen to the uh... The, the founder of, of Success Finder, Larry Cash, as he goes through of it, one of his ones, and he's, you know, the, as uh, doing his research as, as the, the PhD uh, psychologist kind of going through, he started out to find out, so what's the secret sauce? And yeah. he interviewed 400 top Canadians to try to find out what makes you such these top Canadians? And yeah. he's looking for that, the magic couple things that might tie things together and saying, this is what success is all about. We found nothing. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and and he said there, there was nothing that was common. Yeah. and so that's where that's where he thought, well, I got to go deeper because there's got to be something in in place with it, mm. and and that's where it carried out on a, a much much broader scale to say to actually define what we're what you're doing with it is you got to look at it in a much more complex. So Success Finder uses there's uh, 85 behavioral traits, and and you can measure mm. those behavioral traits. Success Finder measures them. Um, you know, it, it, in a way, but the, the my sense, there's lots of different psychological tests that would identify the traits. And the theory behind it is that it's that that high performer, um, they share the common set of traits. And so if we can measure those traits, what are the traits that are, are two valuable things? What are the traits that are required for the job that a high performer would have in the job? Yeah. And then what do you have? And then if you do that kind of bit mapping in between them, it's very, very insightful because now it tells you, here's what your gaps are, and here's the ones that you're actually going to really shine in. And this is what's going to make you be outstanding in that career or are the ones that are in that, in that particular job are the various areas that you just happen to excel in, that you're just, yeah. you know, better hardwired uh, into doing those ones. And you can find different ways to either develop yourself personally and or find ways that you can manage it. So some of the interesting work that uh, we're doing is with teams as you start to put Mm -hmm. it together. And, you know, the, we talk a lot about diversity and, and put things in. To me, we're still taking a very simplistic approach to diversity. So it's gotta be gender, it's gotta be race, it's gotta be in there. And I think the higher level thinking in that is really that it's thought diversity. Yeah. And so how do you put together that there's different studies that uh, the optimum size of, of a team is somewhere between five and seven people. Yeah. Well, you, you can't possibly cover all the variations of all the diversity to say we're going to have representation, but you can actually end up with a whole very different mix of people, you know, a, a team with the five to seven people that would actually have that. Uh, very, very different in thought patterns. And so like we measure, there's nine different problem solving styles. Mm-hmm. Well, between, between the, the, the five, five people or so, you can actually have all of those where you've got high performance in each one of those problem solving styles. Yeah. So you're going to actually be looking at a given problem through nine different approaches versus if you take a homogeneous one and, and okay, we're all great at critical thinking, mm-hmm. but that's only one approach to solving the problem. And, you know, uh, if you use lin- linguistics, for example, is is another problem solving style that, that you could use, which would require somebody totally different than is a critical thinker. And yeah. they'll be looking at it totally different and 
Um, the interesting one that um, when I mentioned Aaron Wapnick a little earlier with the multi-potential light, and, and there's there's other research out there, but it shows that the real breakthrough innovations are going to come at the intersection of the disciplines. Yeah. And and so what's been within a, a defined discipline today has been pretty well researched. It's as you start to have that overlap. And so the overlap between psychology and engineering, for example, yeah. there's going to be a that's, number of very, very interesting things that occur in that space. And so yeah. that's got my interest in, in the same, I think, sharing the same types of interest you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, that one's definitely my interest. And, and the way that factors into to like me, ma mass media and, and that kind of thing. But I think that's why engineering generally fascinates me because, and with just, as technology becomes more widespread, that it, it, it enables these integrations so much more rapidly and in so many realms that we would have never had before. And to me, it seems like engineering naturally had more integration needed because it was about always how do we practically do this right it, it's it's good and well that it works in theory but you know we now have to factor in a bunch of other stuff if we want to build this in the world um and so like i i mean i'm not i'm not a, a typical engineer but i'm very pleased i i have that as my educational background for, for sure um and yeah i've always found kind of yeah, my my skill set is trying to see what's going on uh, in a bunch of different realms and 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 try and do that integration. Yeah, it, 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 to me, you know, very very fascinating if you can actually get you know get those those kind of pieces um, you know th those pieces moving and and how um, engineering perhaps as a a very good foundation mm. I think allows that that kind of structure to that thinking that would be open to those ones. It's interesting under the uh, engineering change lab that uh, you know, we, we kicked off and it's, it's a social change lab to, to look at it. And then we started out with the engagement question with how do we unlock the higher potential of the engineering profession? And, I, you know, it, it went through it and, and that, that's a very laudable goal and, and, and looking through, but we really realized, I guess it was a couple of years into doing the whole change lab, and this involved uh, leaders from you know, f uh, across the profession, from students to CEOs to you know that uh, uh, educators to various different people that would be involved with it. But one of the, what we evolved to was that it's got to be actually outward looking. Is what do we do, and, and how is technology beneficial for all? Yeah. Uh, engineering's been very much, and you know, you reflect back to your first year first year class you would have learned that number one question in, in engineering is what's the problem yeah. and how do we define the problem and how do we put it together yeah. and and to me that to me that's a, a bit narrow thinking mm -hmm. because what you tend to do is you narrow it down narrow it down narrow it down and engineers are great at building a solution once you've got all the parameters defined yeah. but if you you end up narrow, narrowing the pr the parameters down so much uh, what we we end up with is a solution that um, may not necessarily be beneficial for all, and we haven't actually considered it all. So mm -hmm. the engineer change lab now has evolved into uh, technological stewardship as being the prime driver. That how do we actually ensure that the the technologies that we build are 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 beneficial for all? Yeah. That, that's really good and I, I think that is important. That, that's kind of the role that I've seen that I think engineers have, have, have traditionally played. Um, 
And, you know, I think as well, why engineering is kind of is, is good as well is in addition to all of that, so many other fields, they, they claim that they're looking for the right answer and there is a right answer. Whereas in engineering, it's often, well, what's the best answer? What's, what's, what's one of the really good answers, right? There's always, there's, there's 10 ways to build a bridge, right? There's, there's a bunch of different types of bridges you could build, but there's like, you know, which one do we want to choose? Why? And, and that kind of thing, um, rather than, you know, what is the answer? And, and we'll hit a point and be like, yes. Um, uh, it, it, it's just in, in the nature of actually needing to build things and being practical. Um, I think. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and I think that we need to move away from that notion that there ever is a right answer. Yeah. And, and what we're trying to find is really the, the best fit solution, you know, that, uh, that, that comes in place, um, you know, that, that we're really trying to evolve and, and drive. It, it was interesting that it was, um, uh, Thomas Friedman had this one, you know, and he, he talked a bit about the challenge for the 21st century challenge and it said, you know, we've really become good at, at shaping the positive impacts um, of, uh, of technology as we are at inventing them. And so he does a little kind of the, the time and uh, the rate of change. Mm-hmm. And, it, it, you know, on, on the one curve, it's a, a little flatter one, but human adaptability was always above technology yeah and some sometime and i believe we've actually passed where, where those two curves cross yeah that that technology has is now exceeded human adaptability yeah right and and so i think now more than ever like it was it was okay to build a solution because we could adapt much faster as you built the solution but now we can build the technology much faster than we have the ability to adapt to it yeah when you, I, I would agree that we've hit past that point. And you can even just see, yeah, how, how many new technologies there are any given year, right? Like, and to try and have people adapt to it. I think, I think something that needs to be modeled at some point is the rate of change of people, of a society, right? So, you know, let's, let's say for argument's sake, Canada is more progressive than the U.S., um, we have a tenth of the population, so any idea, any technology that is brought up here takes a lot less time to, to permeate through 36 million people than 330 million people, right? We just are smaller, and, and, I, and so I think it's interesting, like, you know, I think you could figure out how fast do humans adapt and, and change their socially, um, that kind of thing. Yeah, and, and, yeah, no, I, no, I think think um, interesting, and, and we can only move as quickly as society can adapt to it. Yeah, right. You know that that we're we're really going to have that that uh, one. You know, and so do our paradigms change? You know, do our paradigms when we think about uh, technology, technological stewardship, that it, it's really around the the broad behaviors that make sure that we're we're trying to make the world a better place. Sustainably, you know, where, where, yeah, and, and that it's well, it's that it is equitable, it's inclusive, yeah. it's just, it's sustainable. It, it's kind of to me, it's all of those things um, in there. That that how do we actually step up as we're starting to design it? And, and I think in, in that is where you need a much much broader input on creating 
the design conditions. Like so, so what are we trying to optimize on? Yeah. And 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 I think if we actually start to think with it, you know, very confident that that we've got lots of people that can come up with it. If we actually define what are we trying to optimize and and what are we trying to put in place uh, to do it. Yeah. And, and, and so it's to me, it's interesting as you, you come back through it, it's kind of where we started with that whole dark horse mindset. If you start to think about, well, what do I really have that is is driving the, the motives? And if people would, on the micro motives, and if people would actually step up and, and start to, to saying, well, you know, we all have a little bit that we need to put in here. None of us will have all the answers. Yeah. But if I'm kind of doing the best with my part and you're doing the best with your part and and collectively we'll come up with a better solution that will work for much better for a much broader cross-section of society. Yeah, I would agree. And I think it's, my interpretation right now is it's unfortunate. Most people think that the only motive is money. And so that, like, that's why things are being driven the way they are. And, and, And you can make arguments for like, you know, Facebook and, and all of these algorithms are, those are just built to churn out as much money as possible. But I, I hear from a lot of people, they think that's, they're bought into the idea that that is the main motive of humans. And, and that, I mean, that's why, you know, capitalism is bad because that's the only motive. You know, I disagree because I know that's not my main motive. I know it's not the main motive for many of my peers. Um, and I think most people have that experience, but then we, when we see it in society at large, it seems like that's the main driver. Yeah, and, and, and it's interesting. You, you think, why is that and where did that evolve from? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is, is, is that, uh, you know, where, where did that teaching kind of come from? Is that really just where, where we're trying to drive society? Is it just that that's just the nature of capitalism that we end up there, you know, of, uh, of, that that's what the solution is. That's what we're optimizing on. Yeah, I I I personally don't think so, but I've become a fairly uh, ardent capitalist <laughs> recently. But I like I I think you know my personal belief is that uh, we've done we like society has done a very good job of saying if you want to be morally good, you should believe the state is the way to do that, and that capitalism is inherently like greedy and selfish and so that the average person who would want to do good they think the solution to that is through government whereas i would rather you know raise have my billion dollar company and and donate 90 percent of it to people directly and i think i would do that more efficiently than than the government but most people you know historically that doesn't have seemed to be in the case. So the people who do bet on capitalism tend to be the more selfish ones. But I think with the growing trend of these tech billionaires, you're seeing that now that they create foundations, they, they, they do it to give back because what does Mark Zuckerberg need $90 billion for or whatever um, and that kind of thing. So that's, that's my, my take on it, I, I guess. Yeah, and, and it's really, it's, it's kind of, you know, that if we look at kind of the, the various different systems, um, I, I think it's driving that incentive around it. But, I, you know, it, it coming, I guess, circling back into the point we talked about earlier, yeah. is, it, is it really fulfillment that, that drives it? You know, that where do we find fulfillment? Because yeah. 
I, I'm not sure having $90 billion is necessarily drives fulfillment. No, and I, well, I think that that's a really good point. And I mean, just that not that many people are trained, even know what fulfills them. And so like a lot of people do chase money but because they think it will fulfill them and they think, oh, if I just get the next big house, if I just get the next nice car and, and, and they never reach it. So then it, it just goes and goes and goes. Um, but so it's really about having people understand what actually fulfills them. And that's why, you know, I, I'm bought into like spirituality stuff and because that's what it teaches. It, it's about trying to find, you know, what actually fulfills you. Um, and it's it's a lot easier uh, actually than than chasing something. Um, but I think I think society's kind of just misguided uh, at the moment, and, and a lot of people are struggling. You see, um, with a lot of the mental health stuff, it's people don't have a meaning in life. They don't know how to feel that fulfillment. Um, yeah. Well, it, it, it's interesting, it, and kind of where we started with the whole dark horse, and so the dark horse mindset. You know, there's there's four kind of elements that are driven in through the dark horse mindset, and and the, the first one is is kind of no and, and uh, I, I, I'll put it in my words, but it's it's kind of know your talent stack, like know what yeah. you actually have, what you could actually offer, and then the second part, the second element of that dark horse mindset is that be open to opportunities, yeah, and and, and walk around and look at those ones and say. You know that actually might be a better spot for me to find fulfillment, or for yeah, or to, to actually use my whole talent stack in in a given area. The, the third one is around saying, well, there's likely not ever going to be a perfect match between where where you want to go and this opportunity is is a better match than mm -hmm. it's not a perfect match, it's still a better match. And so, what are your strategies to how are you going to actually work in through? the gap and then the, the fourth element which is in there and that's kind of where the, the car and the house example comes in is that don't pick the destination what you're yeah. doing is you're picking directionally that i want to go there because if you get there what does it mean so yeah okay so now you're wildly successful and that uh you know at uh, 27 you got this huge house and you got seven cars and you got all this type of one and, and you know your whole goal was to have a big house and a bunch of cars well you got that and then so what? Now what do, then what, you know, yeah. that it, it's not over, you know, uh, and you, you want to start to look at it. And I think there's, there's lots of people that end up where, where they actually have it. You know, like we, you, you'll read about lottery winners and yeah. how they just kind of end up blowing all the money and they think that that's actually going to drive in, in happiness, but it, it, it hasn't driven fulfillment. You haven't found a way to, to have that sustained fulfillment yeah. uh, in there. And so that's where I really kind of like that whole dark horse mindset is around, you know, if you really kind of just even walk through it, it's, they're, they're pretty simple. Uh, the, the principles, right. It's really yeah. kind of understand yourself and what you kind of bring to the table, look for those opportunities, figure out how you're going to fill in the gaps and, and don't get fixed on a destination, get fixed directionally. And, and, and what, what they actually talk about in, in the dark horse mindset is they call that a, a gradient ascension. And so mm -hmm. if, if you think a gradient ascension is that if you're going up a mountain, you don't just take a straight path up the mountain. You look for what's the easiest path to go up the, yeah. uh, the next little piece. It's still going to be a tremendous amount of work climbing up the mountain. But this route, that route, or another route... 
there's going to be differences on how you do it. One may be a little quicker, one may be a little safer, uh, one you may not be able to get through it. Yeah. And, and I think that's what you're really trying to look at. Yeah. And your like any two people's journey will be different because they have different, you know, one might have better stamina, one might have longer legs, like you're going to take a different path. And one of the big things that's you know, I'm I'm now confident, and, and, and it might come across as cocky to some people, but I think that's a whole other issue. I'm confident I will be successful, but it's because I've now changed my mindset that it's a marathon, that like, you know, not a sprint. So much of society right now, especially the tech sector, everything's a sprint. And I'm like, no, that, you know, I my my trajectory is 40 years from now. And so I'm taking my time. I'm, I'm seeing what works best. And I am I'm, I'm trying to do that much more gradient ascent. Um, but it's so it seems to be so contrary to the, the mainstream right now. And, and point number two makes me think back to this multi potentialite as well, like take the take advantage of the opportunities as they come up. It what what so many people are taught what we're taught in society, for my opinion, is that that's bad, right? You're a quitter if you take advantage of a better opportunity. You committed to this one, so why would you switch? And there definitely needs to be a balance, but I think too many people like don't open themselves up to opportunity because they're they shouldn't. They they've made a commitment. They're on this path, like head down, march forward. You'll get there eventually, type thing. Yeah, and it, it it's interesting, you know, and I saw I guess over my career, I didn't have. A number of the different managers that would report into me, and their star their star employee told them that they're leaving the company, mm-hmm. and and they would just be devastated. Like, what am I going to do? And you know, I, I put all this work into it, and how ungrateful and blah blah blah. Yeah. You know, like with all those ones. And, and my comment was always, well, that's great for whoever the person is. Like, yeah, we've been able to have this time together. They've helped our organization grow. They've added in a whole bunch of new talent. We've actually help them um, do a bit of that gradient ascent. And now they're set to move on to the next stage into their journey. And so I always wanted to make sure that the person leaving was end up being a brand ambassador of our organization. Because because we did a whole bunch of good things together. And just Mm -hmm. because, you know, you as as a manager thought, well, that person needed to be loyal and needed to stick here and had to spend the rest of their career here and support it because I was supportive of them. I think like that's wrong minded. It's yeah. that how, how do we actually create the environment where, where people grow and, and we're actually happy for them put mm-hmm. in there. And, 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 you know, I've seen, seen the, the rewards of that, of taking it back because, uh, you know, the, the, the highly talented people, tend to hang around with other highly talented people. They say, yeah. you know, a good place for you to go work yeah. might be the organization I just left. And there's a pretty good job there. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that getting that kind of referral back of other people that are saying, well, you left because you were moving on to something else, but that may be of interest to me, you know, as a, as your colleague and saying, maybe that'd be a good place for me to go. Yeah. And, and, if, and, and, and if two, three, four really highly talented people are all climbing the same mountain, it makes sense that there'd be some of the same stops along the way. And, and, you know, that organization is a great stop for people who are going to get to that mountain, right? Yeah. And, and you know, we're, we're going to see, I think, as as we go through it, you know, the, the, the idea that you, uh, you go and you get a degree and you go to work for one company and you retire from that one company, you know, uh, the, the 40 years later, uh, 
yeah. I just don't think we're going to see that anymore. That, yeah. You know, I think most of the statistics now say that uh, the the average graduate now is going to actually work for fourteen different organizations. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, and 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 so uh, I remember talking. This was uh, back in the oh, probably mid late nineties uh, when I was the, the CEO at Scarborough Utilities, and I was out talking to a high school class and went in there, <laughs> and I told them and said like with you. I remember going through the class and the class would just challenge me like crazy. I said, you know, on average, you're going to work for eight different organizations, right? And, and that eight now has come to 14. Kind of, the next generation has gone up to 14. Yeah. And, and I just see that trend going in there. And, you know, I looked at it. I work for eight different organizations. Like, you know, that was just the, the, the way things are, that if you're looking for, you're open to those opportunities where things may be the best fit you're actually going to move yeah. and you know, that you're going to find fulfillment and every organization I was at, it's a great organization and yeah. enjoyed the people with it. But I found that, okay, it's, I I've done made my biggest impact, you know, the, the 80, 20 rule, you know, I've, I've uh, put in here, so I don't have to spend, you know, I, I don't have to spend uh, 20 years here to make the impact, uh, you know, yeah. three, four or five years. I've made all the, the, the significant impact I'm going to make. Yeah. Uh, and if there's another opportunity where, where I can grow and I'll be actually adding more positive attributes to, to another type of organization, I think that's it's useful. Yeah, uh, I definitely agree. And I think you see that with people who reach kind of your status of like a perpetual C-level, right? And, and, you know, there's people who do get brought in as a CFO, a CEO to kind of like, really make an impact on a company for three to five years and then they move on to the next product the next uh the next company because like they're really good at doing something for companies and they find they enjoy it they know what they like doing um and when it's at that level the company doesn't like bemoan it because it's kind of known but it's like at, at lower levels it seems like there's this expectation of of larger commitment and not just adding as much value as you can in the time you're there yeah, it, it's. Uh, you know, I, I think it, you kind of re reflect through it. Is when you actually have the job offer, uh, you, you've either got to have you, you got the decision that it's either going to be a great one, it's going to be a great decision, or it's going to probably be one of the worst decisions you made. <laughs> right, and and, yeah. and you're at those ones, and I think that you take it because, like many people, end up taking it and 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 fail on on the worst side because it was it came with a title it came with some prestige yeah. it came with a higher income it came with something that was the driver but the fit with the individual wasn't there yeah and so the likelihood of them actually finding fulfillment they're going to find it a real struggle and and guess what they're not going to be as successful they're not going to go as 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 far as they possibly can with the organization they're not going to be the ones that are going the extra mile and volunteering for doing all the other things in there that that help make an organization great you know they're just going to kind of come in and, and saying okay well i'm just doing my job i'm doing my nine to five and i'm out of here and you know do, yeah. doing that that type of one and it's not good for them and it's not good for the organization so as as we circle through uh, you know it, it to me it's always about the best fit and the best fit for the organization is the organization has a need for somebody to deliver it and if my traits my micro motives if whatever aligns you know we have a, a good alignment of those ones you need it i have it uh, we're both going to feel good about this one 
those are the ones where you find that people are, are very highly successful. Yeah. I, I, I find it sad that, uh, you know, it, been watching these for 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 years and years and years. But Gallup does, uh, you know, their their surveys of uh, the the percentage of employees that are engaged, you know, really truly engaged, mm-hmm. and, and it's always less than twenty yeah. percent. I think that the, this year's one was at fourteen percent. Yeah, and you think about that, you know, eighty five percent of the people aren't fully engaged, and yeah. and my kind of thesis with that is that. Uh, if you're actually finding fulfillment, you'll be engaged. If you're not finding yeah. fulfillment, you're probably not engaged. And so there's there's lots of literature out there where they talk about, well, it's purpose. Yeah. Uh, you know, we could talk about purpose, but do you get personal fulfillment out of a given purpose? So it may be something very, a laudable goal, and it may be have a great purpose. But if I don't find personal fulfillment out of delivering on that goal, you know, of, of my contributions towards delivering that goal, I'm not sure I'm going to be a real good fit for that given role. Yeah. And so, so uh, you know, I, I think th- there needs to be a, a, a much better two-way street rather than uh, it, it's all about, okay, I'm just so thankful that uh, here, here's the job and I've taken it, is how do we actually get the, the best fit, you know, uh, in there? Because I think I think both parties are looking for it, both the employer and the yeah. employee are, are looking for it. And you think, how do we get it wrong 85% of the time? Like, we, we don't do a better job with getting that 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 put in place. I just you know, yeah. think it's sad. Part, I, I would definitely agree. Um, and I think part of it is, I think people have a hard time being honest about their own purpose, right? There's a lot of, so people might say, oh yeah, I want to give back. So I want to work for a not-for-profit and that's the purpose they think they want, or that's a nice purpose to have, but that's not necessarily the purpose. The f- I, I think, you know, your purpose is what fulfills you. Um, and so it would be your micro motives and things like that. But I think in People have other other definitions of it, or, or or they think it's more again that high level purpose of what am I supposed to accomplish in this world, not what am I supposed to, what is my purpose to do today, right? Um, and 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 pulling it to the micro spot. But I think also if that makes sense. Why like this? Why Success Finder is so good, right? Because it actually allows people that insight. Um, and I mean, you see with a lot of the information from dating websites, actually, you see how much people lie, I mean, subconsciously lie to themselves, right? They'll, they'll answer the questionnaire uh, on a dating website and it'll say about what are their preferences and then they'll contrast that with what they actually do on the dating website and it's so different. Um, and so I think people have a tendency to lie to themselves um, which which then, you know, when the reality comes of the job they thought they wanted or the purpose they thought they wanted to pursue, um, it doesn't actually give them that fulfillment, which is why something like Success Finder is so cool because, I mean, the questions are, are it's it's a very hard to game system. And so it actually does give you some some truth and, and some some real insights. Yeah, well, it, it, it's interesting because the system itself actually uh, gives you that kind of unreliability factor, so mm. it, it can it can tell if you're gaming the system, yeah. Because you you have uh, you know different types of, but but I've I've seen uh, ones in there where with different people that we've actually gone through and uh, assessed, and when you give them the report and it really kind of shows perhaps that you know 
their their traits don't actually line up with a, a leadership role. Mm-hmm. Most often, they're extremely re- relieved and saying, "Well, no wonder I was finding it so painful." Yeah, <laughs> like like to, to do to do that type of one, you yeah. know that I I would be better better off doing those ones. And so the chap it was Saul was the the chap that I mentioned with the the whole fiber optics and yeah. and going in there. Well, the worst thing the organization did for him was promote him into management. Yeah, because he, he was a brilliant engineer. He he was using stuff like the his connector of, of fiber was used like for twenty five years. Yeah, <laughs> like, and like and it was like you just think that was such a breakthrough uh, type piece. Why would you want somebody like that that has that you know that technical excellence and and, and my sense that early part of his career was extremely fulfilling. Yeah, and, probably. And why? Why would the organization recognize it? But we're saying no, no. We value uh, somebody in the management role more, and they get a higher reward. So, therefore, as you move up, you got to move up the ladder. And here's how you yeah. move up the ladder. And the I think it's still does... just the the society doing that bad boxing, right? Like this is the thing that this is the trajectory that people go on, or whatever. Yeah, you know, as as opposed to saying we really need your talents. Yeah. Uh, you know, we really need your talents and we need the, the talents uh, put in place. I, I've done, you know, lots of coaching of, uh, of, uh, you know, kids sports all the way through. And it, it's interesting, you know, as you put together a hockey team, you don't want all scorers. Yeah. Right. You, you, you want a few of them, of course, and you want to have some that are, are, are really good at doing those ones, but you need to have, everybody playing a different role mm-hmm. and the people need to be comfortable with their role because you know if you think you're a scorer and i'm going to put you stick you back and you got to be as a stay-at-home defenseman well that person's not getting fulfilled out of their 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 what you know they want to be roaming all over the place and uh, yeah. popping lots of goals and, and doing different things well i think it's the same type of thing that we actually have at work is that uh, you want people in there where they're they're really doing their best uh, is that match between where are they going to find fulfillment to put in place? It, it was interesting early in the career, and uh, I was still kind of, uh, it's probably 20 years ago or 25 years ago, thinking, you know, when I write a book, I'm going to call it, I had the, my title all all picked out, and, and it's probably the electrical engineer in me, but it was the, you know, the path of least resistance. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, that, and, that, and that was my early thinking on on how people actually made decisions is, is you always just looked and you just took the, the, the path of least resistance. Yeah. And, and, and I think a much, much better way to look at it is from the gradient ascent. Yeah. You know, that, that we don't just drift and we don't just kind of flow to where it is because, you know, why, did, why did you go into engineering? Right. You know, and it was probably, well, the path of least resistance, I was good in math and science and not so good in English. So yeah. I guess I better go into engineering. Right. And, 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 and you can consider that as the path of least resistance, but but that's taking an engineering program is a huge hill to climb. Yeah, you, know, you, you got to put in a whole lot of work, and yeah. so so I think think the whole notion is that flipping is that you're climbing, you're trying to do things, you're trying to do more things, and and I think it's not we want to make decisions on the path of least resistance. We want to do it on a gradient ascent basis. Yeah, uh, that makes a lot of sense, and it resonates with me because. I always would say to my friends, like, I'm, I'm all about efficiency. It's about maximum return on investment, right? So it's, it's, it's not least effort, but it's best effort to reward ratio always. Um, and that was with studying. That was with, you know, 
uh, I mean, engineering, I, I was good at math and science. That's why I went into it. But it was like, I had also read about how well valued in Canada an engineering degree is um, and that kind of thing. And so it is, yeah, it's, 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 it's about maximizing the, the, the efficiency of, of a decision you make. Um, but again, I, I, I used to get flack for it that I took too many easier routes um, and to me, it never made, like, to me, it never made sense why people would like trudge themselves through the mud when I could clearly see, you know, a nice bridge over, over it. Right. Um, that we both would get where we needed to get to. Um, but I would have all my energy still. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, and, you know, I just think it's, it's interesting if, if you look at those ones and how many decisions did we make that we said, okay. I know I got to go there and it's the straight line path is the, the trudge through the mud route yeah. versus the, the gradient descent to say, well, you know, I think I could climb around here and go around here and zip up over there and we'll end up at the same place. You know, we've got the same uh, directional goal uh, yeah. put in place and we're going to end up there. And uh, it's also, you know, it, yeah, sorry. It's also like, I think it's a bit about how, again, how people look at things, right? Like I say that I'm, able to look at things well and and differently because i didn't let school i didn't pay attention in school and i didn't let them dull my my intelligence um because to some people you know my route might seem like more work because they have been taught you know straight the straight line is the easiest route no matter what's in front of you but mine like you know i i cover five times the distance but it's actually easier and they don't see they don't see the path the same way i see it necessarily yeah, yeah, no, I, I think it, uh, fa fascinating, right? It's just just how you put it in there. But it's it's if you're working towards, I think, finding personal fulfillment mm -hmm. <laughs> on on each of those ones, and that and that's really what you're looking for in each of those paths, and saying that's really what my destination is, because you know I, I'm not sure we we would ever get enough of being fulfilled. Yeah, and and so um, did you ever like leave? Like you, you said you worked for eight companies. That's not as like that's not as common for someone from your generation. Um, did you always feel like when you look back now? Do you feel like you were taking that gradient descent and like that's just naturally what you happened to do? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and, and it, it wasn't it wasn't conscious, mm -hmm. you know, like that, that. That's what he's doing. Um, I think I was always open to. The opportunities, yeah, and and so I think if you're open to the opportunities, then I think naturally you take that gradient ascent and say, well, that looks interesting. Maybe I should go over there, you know, and, and try, uh, tr you know, try that area. Or maybe somebody that has approached you, you know, that saying, you know, we're interested. Would you be interested in coming and joining our organization, doing this or doing doing something else, um, you know, to, to to tie those tie those pieces together. Mm. Um, with doing it. And, and I, I would think in there is that it, it was more, uh, as I went through, it was more being open to the opportunities as opposed to here is the, the strategy, uh, you know, had yeah. put in place. And I look back and say, well, if I'd actually had some of the insights uh, that, that actually do have from going through kind of the details of uh, a success finder type one, and really understood my uh, behavioral DNA, yeah, I think I, I would have been a little more selective on some oh, of them. really? Yeah, because because I would have looked at it. There is the opportunity, and I'd say, well, there's the opportunity, 
what's the upside? What's the downside? And am I going to be the, the real critical measure is that am I going to be more fulfilled doing that than what I'm doing now? You yeah. know, a, a, as opposed to mine was here's more of a climb, uh, you know, to, to climb, climb up and to uh, you know, uh, put in place. It, it was I, I think so. So I actually started my career with Ontario Hydro and it was every within Ontario Hydro. It was every two or three years I would would take another job within Ontario Hydro. So I'm like, I had said five or six jobs within Ontario Hydro uh, in, in through those. And, and again, it was really the same type of thing, because within a large organization like Ontario Hydro, there were endless opportunities, you know, and so you'd see here's what one would come come across and say, oh, that looks good. Uh, I think I'll go try that. And I think that really kind of helped increase the whole breadth of, uh, you know, uh, of what I had. And so yeah. I've always been much in, more interested in being broad than going extremely narrow and deep. Yeah. Well, and that's the multi-potentialite, I think, right? It's... Um... Yeah, my sister works for a really big company as well, and, and they encourage that, right? If they have good talent, they they have every type of job you could ever want, and they want to keep a good person in the organization, um, no matter what where your interests might 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 you know turn to or, or or what you might discover you you like. Yeah, and and again, I think that's for for organizations could do that can provide that for employees. I think those will be the ones where you may see that, you know, where we talked about it rather than the 14, they're going to be the ones that are down at the one or two companies that yeah. they actually work for rather than having that. Because uh, it's it's also interesting, I guess I've done some of it, but I, I see that uh, organizations, because there's been flattening and a removing of levels of management in organizations, that we've moved from climbing climbing the corporate ladder to climbing the corporate lattice. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I see that you're going to be doing, uh, people will be making moves far more lateral moves, you know? And, yeah. and I think, you know, personally, I think that's really good because you could find something, here's an opportunity where you can actually be doing something different, get a, a different flavor for it. And, and you may actually help discover that, you know, is this an area where I'm actually going to be more fulfilled in with it and say, well, I'm getting closer. I haven't found it yet, but I'm getting closer than I, where I was, and I'm getting closer with this one. And, and then what, there's two two big advantages from you personally. You end up with very broad, but from the organization personally, you also end up very broad. Yeah. And so then, when it is time for somebody to move up into, uh, you know, to move up in in the management structure, they now have somebody who's actually worked in six, eight different areas of the organization, yeah. and and really understand understands it you know so if you've gone from you know uh, from sales to engineering to customer service to you know to to, to uh, the r&d side of it if you've covered those then you say okay well good you know now we actually have somebody who really kind of understands it and th the networks and the connections that you actually build within the organization they're tremendous right because you've worked with so many different people and and they've enriched your experience uh, you know that, that you can do so yeah uh, I, I just think that that whole development for organizations, it's got to change, like because people are looking for different things, yeah. And and so organizations, I think, rather than to say, well, here's the straight line, you know, 
we hired you as an electrical engineer and you're going to stay as the electrical engineer and here's here's what you do and blah blah yeah. I, I just see that that's going to be the exception rather than the rule so i think we're going to see that kind of flip upside down and so the ones who actually provide those opportunities uh, for people i think they're just going to do so much better that people will find uh, you know become more fulfilled and find that uh, gee i can actually do some things and I, i'm contributing to the organization in a in a more significant way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you do you think, from your vantage point, how many companies or what percentage of companies are actually doing a good job now? Because there's always these like yearly rankings of the best employers and and that kind of thing. But on average, how many companies are actually doing a good job already? Well. <laughs> Like I would look at it, I would use a macro measure because, you know, you can say, okay, the, here's companies that are doing things, uh, you know, that are, are are putting it in place, and I don't have a good good number on that. But when you start to look at it, that over half the employees are either looking or they're open to changing jobs. Mm -hmm. That's not a good sign, right? You know, in addition and, to eighty five percent, yeah, not and, being and satisfied, it, right? And and so if you've got 15% engaged and you got at least half the people uh, are looking for jobs. Well, holy cow, how could you say this is a, a good high performing organization? How could you actually do something that, you know, that actually might be, you know, that might be different, might be, might be better that uh, people would find that they're, they're put in place. And so, you know, we had an earlier discussion about it. I see absolutely no problem with people looking or leaving the organization, you know. Yeah. So it isn't, it isn't about the retention. To me, the much better measure is how well are they engaged in what they're doing, right? Because mm -hmm. if, you're, if you're finding more fulfill, fulfillment in your last, than you did in your last job, uh, you know, you're, you're, you know, go, going through it. There's, there's a company that I, I, I really like, and I, I like the the approach that uh, they take with it. And so the, the CEO, and it's uh, the company is called Radio Flyer. They make the little red wagon, right? And, and so they're kind of a, a funded, they're a family owned business. Yeah. But what they do is the CEO uh, writes a letter to every job offer and saying, if you can't say that this is the best job that you you've ever had then please don't come. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so you should be entering every job thinking, you know, if you're doing the gradient ascent, well, I've ascended to anything better than I had before. Yeah. So, right? yeah. It's and, not the and, best and, job I'll ever have, but it's the best no. job I've ever had. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and the notion, again, is that there may be a better job out there. There may be a better one in there, but this is the best job I've ever had. Like, yeah. I believe I'm going to... And you just think that the approach or the attitude that employees would have if we all could actually say that, that the job I'm in now is the best job I've ever had. Holy cow. What the, you know, you just think about uh, issues about, uh, you know, from, from a, uh, on a macro level, you know, the country and Canada is always middle of the pack in productivity and, mm -hmm. you know, and, and things like that. Do you think we'd actually have a higher productivity if everybody said, well, I made the best job I've ever possibly had. I think that's a big thing for mindset shift as well on an individual level, right? Like they have to, they have to be open to having that mindset uh, and, and, and rather than, you know, judging their current job against some arbitrary ideal job they've formulated in their brain as well. Um,
Yeah, and and and, and to me, if if the the metric that, that people use on that job is that it's the best fit for me, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm moving into a job that actually fits for me, and so the fit would include that you're getting fulfillment out of it. You're doing uh, all all the other pieces around around that job is is how you'd want the person to be able to say, yeah, I believe I'm going into the job that's going to be the absolute best fit I've ever had, and uh, away we go. Yeah. One, one thing that jumps out for me is 50% of people are looking or open to looking for a new job, but 85% are unhappy in their job, which means 35% are not happy in their job, but are just going to stick it out and, and just stay yeah. there, which is also, I suppose... I mean, those are the people who actually probably reduce productivity, right? They just sit there, they're not fulfilled, they're not looking, and they, and they don't necessarily... I wouldn't assume they're high-output employees. No, and, and what Gallup calls those ones, they're, they're the people that are constructively disengaged. Okay. Like, so, so they're not just disengaged, they're constructively disengaged. And so they're the ones that are, you know, are... Are, are having all the bad talk behind people's back, spreading the rumors, yeah. you know, doing all the things just just aren't productive. Um, well, it's like when, when we were in school, we got to occupy ourselves other ways. So right. if, if they're in a job they don't like, they they cause mischief. Yeah, you know, and and you know, I look at it that it's it's about wrong fit, you know. So it's yeah. it's not that you know somebody may be too smart for the job mm-hmm. it's just the wrong fit for the job yeah. and if there's the wrong fit uh they're, they're not going to be like they're just they're, you know they're going to be disengaged and then what do they do to occupy their time and you know are they just passively disengaged or are they constructively disengaged yeah. and, and the constructively disengaged ones get there and there's there's actually more of constructively disengaged people than there are engaged people so yeah. You know, you, you kind of think, holy cow. How do we get anything done in society when this is the, or how yeah. much more could we get done? Uh, if, you know, if if we could actually just tweak those numbers, uh, yeah. you know, that you start to make some of those improvements um, yeah. in there. That You just picture that, you know, if you went in through, and if everybody had the mindset, you know, the, the dark horse mindset, and you went in for, well, here's here's the annual review, and we're sitting down for the annual discussion, and the manager and the employer are sitting down for that discussion. And and it's about, you know, what are you finding fulfilling in your job now? Where, where do you see, you know, that you'd actually like to go? What are the skills that you need? You know, what are the strategies we can do? What are the opportunities we can actually create for you next year to actually help you build some of those new type of skills? Do you think that might be a better discussion than... Yeah. Well, I'll score you a five on this box and a three on that box. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're one year closer to our standard five-year raise and promotion. And, and Yeah. And why it brings it back to what you were talking about, like coaching hockey or whatever, right? Like there's not that many organizations that I've heard of that actually actively and properly coach their teams and their individuals about how to be the best at what they do. Uh, and and recognizing that you can be a defensive player, a, a tougher guy, a scorer, a, 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 someone who gets assists, and that all of those are valuable, right? There's still this narrow idea of, you know, you have to be a someone who would be good as a manager and, and eventually run a company to be top, right? Uh, 
but they don't do a good job of nurturing everyone. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting. So one one of the uh, offerings that we actually do, kind of under that whole success finder one, we we have our ladder of leadership, and what it's done is it's defined um, the behavioral competencies. So the behavioral competencies are a combination of three to six behavioral traits that group up to make a competency mm -hmm. um, in there. And so a competency might be leads decisively, you know, yeah. as a competency. And so there's there's a few components in there that. that if you're going to lead decisively, well, you got to have some idea how you actually plan and how you actually <laughs> communicate and how you, you know, some type of idea that you yeah. got some purpose and you got, you know, so those are some of the underlying traits that, that, that could be in there. But in the leadership ladder, what was really interesting to me and, and what we've identified for each of the levels. And so here's the kind of the, the manager level, here's at the, the, the VP level, here's the C-suite level as you go into it. And you look at the, the competencies, there's only two competencies that carry through all the three levels, like mm. from as you start into it, uh, you know, as as you uh, as as you walk through uh, with those ones, and it's leads decisively and thrives in chaos are, are the two that, yeah. that actually that actually carry through. But then at the various levels, those behavioral competencies they change, and part of the one that I've seen it, you know, with various different managers and the vice presidents and over the years is what made them successful at the previous level is what they tend to do at the next level. Yeah. And, and unless you actually help them understand and saying, no, this, this, this is a different job and a different role. And it actually requires different competencies to do. And here are the competencies you actually have to master uh, to be successful in this role. Yeah. And, and some of those, that when, when you go through and you have the analytics, some of them you're going to be naturally good at. Some of them are going to be struggles for people. And, and like everybody has different struggles. Yeah. But you think, are, are those ones where you have struggles, how are you going to manage them? And, mm -hmm. you know, that may be relying on teammates. It may be doing a different type of approach on how you 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 carry out some of those things. So you're carrying through with where your strengths lie and you're building your team around to make sure that all of those all of those competencies are executed in the role, yeah. but they don't all have to be executed by you. Yeah. Uh, put in place. And those are the people that are, to me, are very successful. The ones that actually understand that all of this stuff has to be done somehow. And it is up to me to figure out what's the best way to do it. Can I do it myself? Can I learn how to do it? Can I get somebody else to do it? Yeah. Uh, how, how best do we do it? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky that like I had so much heavy team like let's call it executive team experience at such a young age because of all the student organizations i was a part of and it was really about if you were in a team that you guys complemented each other you, the amount you could get done was just exponentially higher because and and it's about recognizing i mean it, there's a lot of ego in student <laughs> groups um but it's about recognizing where your flaws are and having people who compliment them uh, and that kind of thing. But one thing that comes to mind for me is it's interesting that you said there's different competencies at like management and VP and C-level because my success finder came back saying that I would be good at that kind of C-level role. And I, I mean, I run a bunch of organizations, you know, that I could get elected to, but it's not translated well for me um, in in business because I can't, you know, just get hired to run a company. But I know that's what I'm good at. I know that, like, just naturally it's what I've been good at is um, 
and, and so well now I'm running my own thing, but it's been uh, it was always interesting. People say no, you have to you have to pay your dues, which makes sense. But I just know I naturally I find fulfillment and I thrive better in those uh, higher level positions. Yeah, and and. And part of that, though, is that you could make that gradient descent much smoother yeah. if you actually under, understood to say, okay, <clears throat> I really understand at this level, here are the key competencies that I have to, to put in there. And I may have be very strong in, in, in some of those. So you may be very strong in, say, six of the 10 that are at the C level. Yeah. And you're only, you're only strong in three of the 10 at a manager level yeah. and, and you see you see that type of thing and saying okay so how am i actually going to survive as a manager level and yeah. you know that your 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 trajectory is to end up someplace else and mm. saying what i want to do but you really need to understand that because if you're trying to implement and, and deliver on the competencies that that a c-level would have you're not fulfilling your role as a, yeah. as a manager, right? And so you'll be a bad manager and yeah. then you'll never, you'll never get promoted out of manager. So the likelihood of you ever getting to that C level is, uh, you know, it, it, it's problematic. And, yeah. and I think that's, that's where it's that kind of full understanding about where am I now? What, what are those uh, traits or competencies that I need to have to be successful in what I'm doing now? Yeah. And then where, what is that whole kind of bundle of, where do I really want to go on my gradient ascent to say that I'm really going to get full fulfillment if I can find a role that puts in place? Mm -hmm. It was it was interesting back in the early days of uh, Ontario Hydro, and I remember going through, and they had a very very elaborate career system, and mm -hmm. I learned very quickly, and, and they would tie into that you do the research and here's all the jobs that were available in Ontario Hydro, and you'd say, well, this is the job I'd want to do, and here's what I have to do and put in place with it. Well. I found the first three that I did, by the time I came around to do the, the next year's and do the update, well, there had been a restructuring, and the job disappeared. And that <laughs> happened three times, oh, right? Oh, wow, yeah. And, and so, you know, you're just looking, well, that would be a good role. And then, well, you know, we've gone from a, a regional structure to a central structure. So there is no more of these uh, yeah. these people that are doing this role or that role or, or whatever role that might, might have been put in place. That was, was kind of what I saw as my target in, in through those. And so that's where I looked at it and said, well, no, I guess what it is, it, it, it's on a broader one is that, uh, at, at some level, somebody actually has to make those types of decisions that the, that position carried out. And so forget about what you call the title. Yeah. Where I would find fulfillment is actually in making the role or making the decisions that that type of position put in place. And so yeah. that's when I changed the, <clears throat> the view that it's it maybe indirectly from it's not the destination, it's the direction. Right? Yeah. And so I want to head into a direction where I'm in a position to start making those types of decisions yeah. as opposed to that. I want to be called the uh, regional manager of blah, blah, blah. Because right? yeah. it, uh, it may or may not be there by the time I'm ready to get there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, and I, it's surprising that it happened three times. And it, yeah. That's, that's yeah, well, three, three times, like three times in three years. Yeah. As, at the you know the first three years of going through and say, I'm seeing a pattern here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, and so so that's where where kind of as I went in through year four with those ones and as I actually changed roles with it is looking at it that here's the type of <coughs> of role that I would like to be in. Here's the type of decisions that I would like to be doing. And you know, and and maybe that was some of that early one where you reflect back that it was really kind of trying to sort through was that 
you know, what, what are the micro motives that I like to be involved in that, the, the planning, the innovative thinking, mm -hmm. doing a bit of the strategy around it. Like yeah. those were the types of things in there that, that I started to look at. And I think if you take kind of some of the work done on that, uh, the dark horse mindset, those would be the areas of where my micro motives are. That, okay. How can we actually take this broad, broad system view and do make this system a whole lot better? Yeah. I, I want to ask one one more thing about success finder, you know, so I see huge value in it because I've gone through the process and I think like a lot of people probably have never heard of it, but it's actually surprising when I talk, talk to you and some other people that a lot of companies actually do use this. Um, can you like, do you have an idea or can you give an idea of like how many companies are actually using this and is it only for kind of higher level hires that they use it or what's the it actually look like in in canada let's say right now in terms of of implementation of this tool yeah there's like it, it's used in a whole variety of sectors so from <clears throat> huge uh pharma companies like rexall and rexall mm -hmm. uses it kind of for hires uh you know, up and down the organization from uh, store managers to you know diff different types of pharmacists as they, you know, they kind of walk through to uh, a company like uh, New Brunswick Power. And New Brunswick Power uses it for uh, very, very broad hires and it ties it in from whether they're, they're looking at a, a power line maintainer or one of their operators for a nuclear plant, you know, as you start to go through and you start to look at that, those, those hires and you want to have somebody with the right type of mindset. So within success finder over the years, since it's been in place, uh, there's been, uh, about 2,500, uh, occupational roles that have been, a benchmark has been created where you did this trait type match yeah. and there's, there's 500, maybe five to 600, ones that are current ones and so again if you use my my uh, Ontario Hydro example as uh, jobs disappear well mm -hmm. you know you've done a benchmark and the job no longer exists in in that specific one and you want to get it into it so there's 500 that are or five to 600 that are very very current uh, goes into it but it's it's a whole wide range uh, so you have uh, you know uh, TE Bank you have SSQ Financial you have a number of of fairly large organizations that are doing different different things with it yeah. uh, you know we've got consulting engineering organizations like morris and hirschfield that are, are are you know been using it for and many of these companies have been using it like for a decade or or longer you know oh, that they've yeah. been been using it and and you know they use it not just for selection but it's really for uh, to be as much for development you know that you, you start to look mm -hmm. at that you can now start to pinpoint what what are those beneficial areas for people to start to learn and grow in. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah. so sorry, David. I don't have a, a an exact number. Oh, yeah. of, uh, you know, a, a count on it, but it's it's also used uh, like broadly, you know, uh, with international organizations. You know that so so. Uh, it's translated into a number of different languages. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, because as you do the uh, survey, the, the questionnaire, as, as you're walking through it, uh, the, the person needs to understand, you know, kind of the nuance in between what the language is actually saying to them. And so, you know, whether it's in Mandarin or whether it's in German, you know, like uh, as 
as, as they walk through and, and they do it, but it's all still based on, on the same same uh, set. And so it, it's really also demonstrated that it's the role that, that is common. Uh, it's not societal per se. And yeah. so if you can define what the role is and if they're, they're defined as the same type of role, the same types of traits apply in it. Mm-hmm. Okay, no, uh, thank you. Uh, that's, that's good to know. And I mean, I guess it's not really for like first time hires or, or it is in some companies like because well, I know. Well, yeah, even even more. And it's some work that I'm doing with it, because one of the other ones I find you know, extremely disturbing is that we look at people going into uh, into university or going into college that 80 percent of people change their major. OK. Oh, wow. And, and you think, what a waste. Like it's it's a waste for uh, it's a waste for the individual for their time and effort and who's ever helping them along with with doing it. You know, it, it increases some of the the debt because they haven't found a very good match. It's it's a waste of resources at the school and you know in Canada with most of our our institutions the higher learning being publicly funded to to yeah. a great degree. It's a it's a waste of the tax burden. So one of the things we've been doing with it is that you can take it down to uh, to actually help students put in, but, and interestingly, with uh, Success Finder, you know that part of it, and, and Larry Cash has done some of the testing, and, we, and I, I remember going through with Larry and saying, "How young can you actually go with it?" And, and you need to be about sixteen before your your behaviors have, have cemented enough to actually give yeah. you that you know that kind of reliable. You're still that kind of developmental one, but you yeah. get a pretty good indication. At, at 16. Mm. And so the program that we've developed around it is that you run somebody through and you can say, good, here's the high performing areas. You know, you, it, uh, you might be a great engineer. You might be a great analyst. You, you might be a, a mechanic. You know, you might be, here's what it is. And what I like to do with it is say, the, here's kind of your top 10 list. And, you know, you, you as Ms. Ms. or Mr. 16 year old, what it behooves you to go out now and, and take the list, find somebody who does it, you know, network, find somebody who's that mechanic, who's the fireman, who's the engineer, who's the whatever it is that comes out as, as your top list. Find out what that job is. <clears throat> and it's just something that might interest you. Like find mm-hmm. out what they do, ask them questions. So we've got, a, you know, a whole little support tool that I think I've got about 80 questions on there and say, don't use all 80, but pick 10 of them and start to find out that, you know, do a little bit of exploring on with it and say, oh, that's interesting because, you know, there's, I think, so many things that people aren't exposed to that don't even know they exist. Like, yeah. uh, I didn't know engineering was a career. Okay, well, good. You know, and guess what? You actually bench pretty, pretty good for that one. So maybe you should go talk to them and maybe you'll find some interest and they go, oh, wow. Like, uh, you know, they do lots of cool things. They do this and this. And I never thought they did it. I always thought engineers just built bridges. And said, well, yeah. no, you know, these, these guys are actually doing the, the biomedical stuff and they're do, doing all this type of stuff. And go, well, that's really cool. You know, like, how can we actually get involved in, in doing uh, doing something uh, in, in with uh, with that kind of area where they think, uh, you know, the only part of medicine is, well, I got to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, there's lots of other pieces around that whole, you know, the, the industry the whole, of medicine, yeah. Yeah, the whole health field that uh, is is way beyond it. And if you look at the amount of technology that's that's being used in 
head with it. It's just, you know, phenomenal and continues to grow each day. And so as people start to explore that and say, well, okay, how do I actually do those? And then find out, <clears throat> can you see yourself doing something like that? You know, is that something you'd like to aspire to? And so what you've got is say, well, we'll start with the traits and we can say, you know, and, and really, you know, try to help them find a bit of their micro motives in there and say, now you got to move on to step two, that you've, you know what you have, you know what's required. And so what are your strategies to get it? Well, I better get a degree. I got to go on to here. I got to go here. And, and people then can start planning and plotting in a meaningful way what they really want to do and how they want to get there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we talked, we talked a, a, a bunch about, about Success Finder dark horse mindset, multi-potentialites and all of that, you know, all, all things considered, if you had to give, you know, one or two pieces of advice to, you know, you, you're, you're a highly successful person. You've been, you've run a bunch of massive companies. If you were to give advice, um, you know, what's, what's the, the piece of advice it, it, that you'd give to people? Uh, I, I really like that, that concept to be of the, the gradient descent. Like okay. it, it's being open to that, so, so I would say it's tied into the dark horse mindset, but you need some of the tools like the success finder tools <clears throat> that actually help you at that early stage of saying, you really got to understand yourself very well. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you, if you're looking for opportunities to how you're going to find fulfillment, well, I don't think you can find fulfillment unless you understand yourself very well. Right. So, so yeah. to me, they'll go hand in glove and there's tools around with it. And it's that, you know, that the gradient ascent is being that open to opportunities, like you've got to be open to opportunities, and then you're going to move up to wherever it's going to be. And when you get to the next plateau, as you go through, well, it's going to be a whole different trail. And you've actually may climb, you may end up going two or three mountains over. Like, mm -hmm. it isn't necessarily that your, your interest now is to climb the mountain you originally thought you were going to climb. Mm -hmm. Your interest may be going over here because that looks like a better place to go. Yeah. And, and so I would think it's that, you know, that, that whole notion of really understanding yourself as, as well as you can. And what is your, that kind of your, your long-term, your long-term goal of, of finding a fulfillment in what you want to, you know, want to put in place and then start building your portfolio to help you get there. All right. Great. Thank you. And so uh, the dark horse mindset, there's a book about it as well now, right? There's a Ted talk, but more specifically, there's a book. Yes. All right. So I guess, I mean, yeah, I, I would say anyone who's listening, then uh, if, if that's your piece of advice, I would tell them all to definitely heed it. Cause you said you could had kind of happened to follow this, this path. Right, you see parallels looking back, but uh, I'm I'm assuming if you could tell yourself, uh, you know, your 20 year old self, hey, do that, it, you'd still make that same conscious decision. Oh yeah, no, no, abs absolutely. Where where I just kind of fell into it, and I think it was it was more painful than it had to be. So mm. I, I would read read the book around the dark horse mindset. I would also recommend, uh, you know, uh, having a good a good look at the, the whole multi potential light because. That is, that's to be a, just another way of, uh, uh, you know, better understanding yourself. And I think, you know, you talked about this, this whole kind of the, the broader psychology or the, mm -hmm. you know, the psychology of self and understanding self is, is, uh, I don't think at early in my career, I paid enough attention to it. And, mm -hmm. and when I, I go back in and that's one of the lessons that I would have paid 
more attention because I would have been more intentional about those choices. And I think I would have said no to, to, to mm. more jobs. Like, yeah. you know, and, and, and this, this isn't, this isn't, you know, it, it uh, may be interesting. Uh, I'm going to gain something out of it, but is this the, the actual, the best fit for me right at this given time um, as you go through? And then, uh, you know, uh, David, you mentioned, you know, you're interested in that whole C-suite and a book that I just kind of finished in there is the, the CEO Next Door. And, mm -hmm. and I'd highly recommend that uh, if, if people are interested in, you know, in that whole one, because it really dispels that it isn't a straight line. And you look at all the people come from all kinds of different places and all kinds of different backgrounds and, and, you know, what's, what's involved with it. But it, it to me, those are the kind of ones around there where there it's, it's, it's actually putting, if, if you're, you know, if your gradient descent is, is interested in, in that kind of uh, the targeting of the CEO, what it's, uh, or if it may be one of the possibilities you want to consider or, or discount. Mm -hmm. Either way, I think I think the book is very good to read because it gives you lots of the upsides and lots of the downsides too. That uh, there, there's always good and bad with everything. Yeah, perfect. Well, thank you for those recommendations and uh, thank you for coming on and being a guest. I hope you'll you'll be on sometime in the future as well. Yeah, no, happy to David. Thanks very much for having. Me. Thank you, and thanks for everyone who is listening. Um, thanks for the next time.